Start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, science, fact, and fantasy in all their forms. And with us this evening, and this is episode 62, if you're keeping count, uh, we're happy to be at this number. <laughs> uh with me this evening is uh, is Russ Adams, and the voice you've just heard is Susan Fox, the executive producer of the station. Russ Adams, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. This is uh, this is great to be here. Yep. So we saw you on Jim Henson's Creature Creep. Uh, now I'm I'm Creature Shop Challenge. <laughs> Creature Shop Challenge. That now third I'm voice. Doing it. The third voice you just heard is Gabriel Gentile. He's our He's our voiceover artist uh, for Krypton Radio. He does a lot of the the amusing station IDs that you've been hearing. And the not-so-amusing ones. <laughs> so, um... So we watched you. We watched you make amazing creatures, and we watched you kick some butt of, of annoying people. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but reality TV being what it is and being the manipulative artificial situation that that it is we thought we'd hear how it went for you and what really happened there oh my god there's so <laughs> where would I, where would i begin um, at the beginning you tried out for the show <laughs> uh yeah if you want to uh the tryouts were it, um they were kind of interesting. Uh, when we first got the word about the show, um, all of us, in fact, uh, no one knew what the name of the show was. They kept referring to it as the Untitled Creature Show. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, sure. If they said the H word, everyone would know. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, we didn't find out about the H word until, uh, um, God, it was uh, we were almost on the plane before they told us about that. So, um, you know, there was uh, – you know, there was a, its fair share of excitement and apprehension at the same time. I mean, it's, it's great that, you know, you know, my name is now forever, you know, attached to Jim Henson. Um, I mean, there that's, could be nothing wrong with that at all, except for the be. fact that, you know, they're kind of more of a, they're known for their, their puppeting and their Muppets. Mm -hmm. And what I do is so far from that, that there was a little bit of apprehension as to whether or not this would be good for my career. But, um, the uh, the excitement of being attached soon outweighed that entire thing. So. <laughs> well, there's so it's there's so much that's in common with what the Muppets are and 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 uh, and what with what you do. It's um, creating what, something completely out of this world. 
Yeah, you take a pile of chemicals. Oh, I did not do that. Yeah, that, I, yeah, you phone, did. The phone has got to go silent. My phone? No, no my it's phone. Gene's phone. The, the radio, oh. the radio host who should know better. The one who's been <laughs> chewing on me for nors is off. <laughs> okay. Okay, starting back at, I'm, I'm going to edit that chunk out. We'll fix it in post. Um, <laughs> well, it's like the Muppets in that you create something from nothing, or practically nothing. Now you, you often start with just a bag of chemicals, and then create a yeah, physical creature uh, out of it. And actually, it's odd that uh, a lot of the things that we typically use to create creatures were completely taken away from us at the show, so... We were using some, most of us were using materials that we didn't uh, that we weren't familiar with at all. Um, I got that impression. Well, yeah, it was it was interesting, you know. And the, the other interesting fact um, that uh, a lot of people aren't aware of is is the helping that went on that, that didn't get shown on on you know on the air. But like I was teaching a lot of people who didn't know how to use the vacuum formers how to use the vacuum formers and like Yvonne um, was teaching me how to foam fabricate. I taught mm-hmm. some of them how to do mechs. I mean, it was interesting because there was so much, it was a competition, but there was so much, you know, uh, camaraderie that went on with it that um, it all kind of fell to the wayside when it came to the editing. But um, for <laughs> those of us who didn't know how to do mm-hmm. things like foam fabrication, the, uh, you know, having somebody there to show you, um, kind of alleviated some of the pressures. The same with the mechs, um, you know, the eye mechanisms and things like that. Um, there were certain people who had never worked with them because the way that our industry is set up is everyone has their own job. Sometimes right. you're a foam mm-hmm. fabricator for the rest of your life in a shop, and other mm-hmm. people were sculptors and people were mold makers. Um, those of us who do all of that were a little more, I guess, a little better off than some, um, but we all shared our knowledge. Sounds like they were selecting for generalists. I I, I missed that. What was that again? It sounds like they were trying to select for generalists. People who can handle um, the mechs or the foam fabrication or the vacuum form or, you know, the different things. Yeah, I think think their goal was to have – the goal was to have the most well-rounded people on the show um, so that we were competing equally – but where it comes down to it, some of us would have more knowledge in other areas just by where our career paths had taken us. You know, there's only so much, I guess, equilibrium you, you could actually have with the uh, with the creative process. You know, so they had to. I don't want to say they had to take what they could get, <laughs> but um, we were the. Uh, I guess we were the most qualified out of the uh, the thousand or so people that had applied. Oh my gosh. And you must I mean, have, I think you were the oldest one by at least a decade. Yes, and thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but, but this also gives you, gave you quite, quite a, a head start and, uh, you know, time to develop your skills. In your actually, it didn't. I, uh, my, my skills started when I was in high school, but I took about a decade of my life off to join the, the military. And so, mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, creature creating going on there. Um, no, just observing, out, observing creatures like Marines. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> mine was the Air Force, but, you know, the same things. We got critters in the Air Force. Gabe is, uh, Gabe is over here snickering. 
No, we, uh, yeah, so I had, I was a little stunted in that particular aspect. I didn't have any schools that I could go to. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was learning how to put things together in high school, um, you had a book or two that you could look at. And our, our public library was a joke because mm-hmm. I came from an extremely small town that, uh, I mean, I graduated with, uh, about 30 other kids and, uh, so our we had a you know rural town, and so access to things like creature creating uh, books and fabrication and stuff just weren't there. Your, your library probably had one book on puppetry, and that was it. I don't even know if it had that. To be honest, with oh my you. god! At least you're I mean, young, you're young and, enough that Star Wars was already out and the books existed. <laughs> we yeah, didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, there, but even so, you know, back then there was no internet. You couldn't just get online and look something up and oh. Oh, here's a video tutorial on how to do uh, uh, how to do exactly. silicone appliances and 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 uh, airbrush them and make them look exactly. convincing. You wouldn't have any of that stuff. I, I started out uh, actually in visual effects as well. I started my professional career as a sculptor. So uh, working oh, in yeah, working in a uh, there was a little shop and I don't remember the name of it anymore. But we uh, the big thing that they did was the Jeffrey Giraffe walk around suits. You know, from the Great. yeah, from from the late seventies and early eighties, and my first job was uh, I was doing mold making and casting for uh, the Universal Studios tour. I was making Cylons for the Battlestar Galactica thing. Oh no, that sounds like a blast. <laughs> well, it was. You know, you know, it was. That actually sounds incredibly cool. Yeah, it was my first decent paying job, uh, but I spent it, spent most of it out in the driveway in the hot sun sanding Cylons. You know. There's, there's a tongue twister in that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, they would, they would, uh, they'd throw them in, we'd throw them in, whoops. I was just saying that, uh, you know, I had spent that, the he summer sends- in, he sands Cylons by the seashore. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I spent fantastic. a summer. No, that that sounds like it would be a blast. I mean, I, I actually got addicted to the to the remake series um, that uh, that was out on. Um, well, I, I saw it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I can't honestly tell you what channel it was actually on. The but funny funny thing is, I worked on that too. Except oh, I fantastic. was yeah, I was doing I was uh, making models for the previs. Uh, the for oh. the for the pilot of it, I, I built the spaceships. That's that's amazing. I mean, you know, it it isn't many shows that I get attached to like I did with that one, where mm-hmm. I had to pry myself away from watching. You know, and and on on Netflix, it's even worse because you have everything available to you to watch right then and there. Oh yeah, binge watching. Yeah, I've done exactly. That. Yep. And I felt so incredibly empty when the show ended. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, it was uh, it was strange how how addicted you can get to a show. So you grow up in a small town, uh, mm-hmm. out in the middle of effectively nowhere. Your your graduating it's... class has thirty students in it. How do you get from there into doing motion picture work? You know, it was it was strange. You know, I've I've always wanted to be involved. Um, you know, there there was an opportunity for me to go to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, they had a, an effects uh, workshop there um, that was just coming online. If I if I remember correctly, when I was graduating, 
uh, back in, uh, <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I chose not to go. Um, I had, I think I, I had a scholarship, but I chose not to go because I felt I needed to, to join the service and, and see the world. I mm-hmm. don't know what was going through my head at that time, but, um, but yeah, I kind of gave up that opportunity to, uh, you know, <laughs> to do that. And, uh, so well, yeah, that would be, that would have been my only option. And then I fell back into it when I got out of the service, um, I had some friends of mine who were in filmmaking and they would ask me, you know, questions about props that they were making and did this look real enough? And, you know, I'd seen my fair share of dead bodies and, you know, mm-hmm. um, they had, uh, you know, they were always kind of, there was always some kind of correction that needed to be made. So I kind of decided to do it myself. And, and so it began. Come on, he needs to look deader. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, the rib page should be more that way than. <laughs> yeah, because you'd seen it. Well, and and yeah. so actually going to the service gave you direct experience uh, with a level of reality, uh, uh, realistic detail, you know, and and knowledge and anatomical abil- uh, skill that you wouldn't have gotten any other way. No, now, not you know, if really. You, if you'd gone to art school, for example. Uh, you would have had lessons in life drawing, and instead you got your knowledge on the battlefield. Lessons in death drawing. And the lessons in oh, yeah, she well, she you know, and so now, <laughs> and uh, so, at what point did you uh, step up and, and realize that you could actually do this for a living? When when did that happen? I went to work for a small, uh, well, a small company here in Utah, and. Uh, I had been, uh, I'd kind of been let go because my boss's girlfriend needed a job. And at that point I decided that I was never going to, you know, make money for someone else and that I had to, mm-hmm. you know, that I had to find a way of doing it myself. And I, I would, I would like Hollywood, to be isn't it? it is, it's, it's pathetic. Um, you know, that, that it would come to that, you know, um, you know, also a service member, I might add that really threw me for a loop, but, uh, you know, um, but I, I decided to open my doors on a smaller basis, you know, creating some props here and there and stuff like that. And then I slowly started to get into makeup effects and, you know, and then it was more um, creature design and mask making and things like that, you know, things that paid the bills. Um, and, you know, every chance you got to work on a film, you took it. And sure. we were doing pretty well for a while. And then, you know, the economy started to go. And mm-hmm. so you know, things kind of tightened up a bit. Right but, around 2000. 2008. 2008. Yeah, because the yeah. first the first big first big slam was in two thousand, and and uh, I was working in the game industry at the time, and everything well, that just was tanked. more the computer industry than oh well, yeah anybody else. But two thousand yeah two thousand eight was when the the most recent dip came in, and wow. So yeah. you must have, uh, I mean, what happened to Rhythm and Hughes? And I was working there for ten years. Was uh, a bunch of major clients all backed out at once. So how did you how did you cope during that time? Well, luckily, you know, at the same time I was I was, you know, uh trying to run a small business, I was also going to school. So, you know, um it was uh I was kind of I guess I was a little more sheltered. I'm I had I had enough money to to pay the bills, I had enough money to pay for school. Um 
And so I was doing okay. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't going out and buying any power boats or anything, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things where you just, you know, you have to find a way to make it work. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I didn't give up because, you know, a lot of special effects places who, that had the higher overhead, you know, were starting to crumble and disappear. And even in Hollywood and, uh, and what I think what happened was is they started to fall to you know filmmakers started to fall back to the uh, to the safety net of uh, sci- uh, um, CG mm-hmm. you know but with you know with anything the more popular CG gets the more expensive it's going to get and so now we're looking back at practical effects which weren't practical cost worthy you know practically cost worthy are now all of a sudden um, the cheaper route to take and. You know, there's this uh, revisit to that where the realism of having a creature that, you know, that you can touch on set translates to the audience, you know. And, you know, I have um, – and, and, and I think that, uh, you know, they're starting, to, they're starting to bring all that back. I think, you know, like the Henson show is showing mm-hmm. that not only are practical effects, you know, just as important as they used to be, but – they can actually be produced way faster than CG can be. I mean, we were doing some of the things that we were doing on the show in three days, you know, two days in some cases. We saw that, and it was some of the things that you built were just impressive as hell. It's and like, scary. And, and if you know a little bit about how these things are made, uh, it's even more impressive because you know that uh, – you know exactly what goes into it and exactly what kinds of problems there are. Like, you know, no, you can't, uh, you know, like for example, no, you cannot sculpt hot glue with your fingertips. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> little lessons that you, that Don't we all find out the me. hard way. You know, and Still funny, it, it's funny that you bring up hot glue because, um, do you remember the junkyard challenge where we had all those metal pieces? Yeah. Well, they they couldn't give us a welder. So how did we stick that stuff together with hot glue? So those steel creatures, you know, those aluminum creatures were held together with hot glue and a lot of hope. Yeah. And I don't even, I can't even imagine how you did that because hot glue typically doesn't stick to metal because it, it cool, the metal changes its topology under the, under the, uh, uh, the heat, the, and then the it cools down the, and, and then, the, and then it just pops off. Yeah. You know, it doesn't stick now, at all. I think we were lucky enough with the, uh, we had, um, a hot glue that I've never encountered before. It was called slow melt. It oh, took okay. forever for that glue gun to get hot enough to use, but it also took forever for the glue to cool down enough, you know, to, uh, to get apart to stay together. So, you were sort of taping and gluing at the same time. So the tape was there to hold it in place while the glue cold, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, cooled off. And we would even pour water on it and it still wasn't cooling off fast enough. I mean, it was incredibly crappy stuff. Um, was but I think in some cases for using it, it, it actually worked, you know. I can't, why would you want to use something like that? It was, it was out of necessity. It was what we had. Oh. Uh, I'm just wondering why they gave it. Why, yeah. Why would they do that? That's just, it's just a well, handicap, I guess. You know, I've actually had the fortunate, uh, you know, uh, luck to, you know, to be able to meet the guys from Face Off, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them have become my friends. And you know, we get together, and you start, you know, start drinking, start telling tales about your show versus their show, and I start to learn that, you know, especially the season one guys from Face Off were having the same problem as we were having on ours was producers that didn't quite know what we were going to need. And when we got on the show, 
um, we were mentioning things and I can see the producers' faces and they were, they looked like the blood was draining out of them when they realized they didn't have the stuff that we needed there in the shop. I mean, things, simple things like PVC, um, we had to have special requested, you know, um, uh, you know, hair yeah, trimmers. Yeah, I you mean, can't, you can't somebody, weld, you can't uh, weld stuff up and, and it's no. gotta be light enough to pick up. It's gotta be PVC. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, you know, there was there were other aspects that uh, that they weren't paying attention to, like, um, you know, uh, fiberglass is a mainstay, and we weren't allowed to use that because of safety hazard. You know, with the vapors and everything that we did use, we had to use in the spray booth, and there could only be four people in that spray booth at any given time because of its size. So, mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder if there was a lot of, uh, you know, if it was part of the challenge. Um, that we were, you know, that we were rotated out like that to be able to do a kind of, uh, I guess, um, work with each other in the use of those spaces and those tools and and the limited supplies, um, and that was part of the challenge. Or if it was just something that was, you know, somebody dropped the ball or didn't do research. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a third possibility, and that is that the fire marshal wouldn't have allowed it. You know, with, with that much hot lights and that yeah. many flammable petrochemicals around. You're just begging for either a fire or a small explosion. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's not like they yeah. don't use fiberglass at this facility. Yeah, right? but they use. They generally don't do it with fifty uh, uh, k of movie lights hanging overhead. Well, see, and it's it's funny that you mentioned that the lighting was very minimum, minimal, and it wasn't it wasn't obstructing, and it didn't cause any heat. Um, they were up high. I mean, it was a very good room. The, 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 where we were working was a very good room for, for that particular, uh, project, you know, but, uh, you know, you're right about the, the fire marshal. That was probably a bit of an issue, but at the same time, you know, these are, these are tools that we're used to having. I mean, silicones were non-existent. Um, you know, fiberglass was non-existent. Um, you know, I mean, there were things that we, we, you know, at the beginning, uh, a tap and die. When I asked for a tap and die and, and, and the challenge producer looked at me like, well, what's that? And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? You don't know what a tap and die is? <laughs> I mean, I like, need to you know, put screw threads on the inside of this hole. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, just use hot glue. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> oh, man. Fine. So you get, you get me hot glue that'll hold 60 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, for our first challenge with mechanisms, we used duct tape and hot glue to hold things together. I mean, it was ridiculous. That's unbelievable. But, That's un- but we did get those supplies later on. Well, well at, at least, you know, I want, if I couldn't get a, a tap and die, I'd want machine screws. You know, at least that. Yeah, well, we had plenty of machine screws. <laughs> we, we just we had, had no way to, uh, had no way to tap the metal to put them in. Oh. Yeah, just the way to yeah. I guess you just you know like use a use a nut on the other end. I guess. I, I, yeah, that's the only thing you can do. The nut was on the other end of the you know signing the checks. <laughs> <at> the <end. laughs> so, so when but, you saw, but, and like I was saying, I think that played into it. You know, um, where where I was talking about the guys from Face Off in season one, where the producers just weren't quite sure what we were going to need. So, and they tell the same story. You know that it was uh, it was a bit of a catastrophe. You know, trying to get things you know, where they were. But at the same time, I think it made the show so much, so much more, um, kind of exciting. You know, I mean, you didn't have what you needed. So you had to use, it was almost like you were MacGyvering everything, 
Well, and, and maybe that's what they want to see. And <laughs> and that, know, MacGyver was a popular show. That, well, and, and it it sh- the competition is how resourceful are you? How are you going to exactly. get this done with the wrong stuff? Exactly. You know, or being given not enough information about what you're trying to accomplish. You know, like that. Uh, you were referring to the uh, when you were cut loose in uh, Apex uh, electronic electronic surplus. You got all of these metal parts and you're going to make a creature that was going to live in a cage. They didn't yeah. tell you the cage was going to be eight what, feet tall. Yeah. Six, six to eight feet tall and, and, uh, have a footprint of six or seven feet or whatever it was. Cause I remember watching the show and seeing the looks on everybody's faces when they walked you in and showed you those cages. Well, and the other thing about the cage was we didn't know it was going to be off the ground and at the same time, we didn't realize that our creature was going to have to be transported in that cage. And, you know, there were so many things that were going on with those cages that were terrifying to us as creature uh, creators because, you know, uh, some of us had to suspend these creatures with, uh, you know, heavy filaments and stuff like that to try mm-hmm. to make, you know, an invisible line. But the thing's floating in space and you're trying to get it to work. But, you know, now you have to, to tie it off. You don't have the tools, so you got to wrap the filament around the cage several times and then use some um, gaffing tape until the roll is gone to try to hold it in place, you know. It was uh, it because was maddening. I mean, Because you couldn't which, put a hole in the cage to put an eyelid in. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was insane, but at the same time, fun. I mean, you know, looking back, you know, it did frustrate me and there was time and we were, I wasn't the only one, but uh, at the same time, looking back, it was like, I don't know if I would have had it any other way because, you know, it was, you know, it was just that it was producing something out of nothing and MacGyvering the entire show. And, and you're right. You know, I mean, uh, our outcome was so much better, which, which kind of lends me to, um, you know, uh, the, the, some of the the chat room stuff that was going on. I mean, we were we were really getting chewed up, and and it was like you guys have no idea. When I say you have no idea, you really have no idea. <laughs> I mean, That's the nature of the reality television, I'm afraid. Well, it, yeah, and it was, I was warned ahead of time to stay away from those uh, from those uh, those. Uh, I guess you call them forums and, you know, mm-hmm. once or twice I peeked in and I learned my lesson and I never went oh. back. <laughs> oh, oh, dear God, no. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. I actually had to quell a conversation. Uh, I call it a conversation because I'm being polite. Um, <laughs> where They were ripping Tina up to the point where I was like, you know what? I was her partner. I was frustrated. But you guys don't understand the situation. And at the same time, I, uh, here I am running to Tina's defense on this on the, on this forum and you know i think people take things way too personally for a show you know i mean it was like uh you know you have to know that there's editing and you have to know that that things are cut a certain way for entertainment value mm-hmm. you know but the builds were yeah. incredibly stressful and we weren't the best team mates to be mated up and we're very different in temperament yes uh, and and i'm being diplomatic here <laughs> just completely exactly. completely different styles completely different skill sets yeah different skill sets to the point where you had almost no overlap no and, and, and i could, gotta be that honest that could have been good but... was our biggest problem yeah, yeah yeah i could tell that yeah you you just watching tina talk you you knew yeah uh, you could see i could see what was going on in your mind 
and you're going, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. I was. I honestly thought that we would be the first ones to go home. I was. I thought they were going to make an exception and just you know can us both. But uh, uh-huh. I, uh, you know, I tried to hold on for dear life, and you know, it wasn't coming out well because you know my military mind is telling me to take over, but my my you know the whole you know the, well, the whole were- logistics of the situation says there can only be one leader, and if she's not willing to understand that she's leading improperly. Then, mm-hmm. you know, by me taking over the leadership, and then we have two leaders arguing over ridiculousness. It, it was just not worth the effort. So well, I shut down and I just became a, a worker bee. Uh-huh. So. Well, and the, the, the other side of that is that, uh, okay, this is one of those cutting room floor moments. I lost my train of thought. I don't know what to do. I do that constantly. <laughs> Maybe it's the fiberglass. <laughs> yeah, the fiberglass in your head. Um, yeah, one of the exciting things about uh, about the show, and I think this is why it appeals to so many people, uh, watching you do uh, these miraculous things with nearly nothing, is that uh, not only is that the first time somebody has done something, you know, that specific exact thing, you know, not only is it the first time you've ever done it, chances are pretty good it's the first time anybody has. So uh, uh yeah because you know. they were trying to steer people away from anything that looked muppety. I you know I I I saw some people get dressed down for that cuz obviously they're trying to play to their audience, right? Ooh, Henson, we got to make it look well, like I a think Henson so. product. And no, that's, they and that didn't was want the that. confusing aspect was we were like, okay, you know, Robert and Chaz took a chance on that first uh that first episode to play up to the Henson mm-hmm. um you know um I guess expectation and the rest of us just kind of we didn't want to have I didn't want to have to create you know create a creature like that, and they did they kind of they kind of uh, browbeated them a little bit um, or beat them a little bit um, mm-hmm. to uh, to get them you know to understand we don't want that and yet the further we went on it seemed like it was all of a sudden becoming more acceptable to be Henson like Muppet like mm-hmm. and so it was sort of. Um, Trying to gauge that situation was difficult. You know, where was it? Where was it acceptable, and where was it not? You know, were you a big fan of the Muppets growing up? For the sake of the show, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I had my favorites. I I was a big Swedish Chef guy. I love that guy. (laughs) You hear the food of her. Exactly, you know, and the and, and the dirtier the language, the funnier he gets, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would need that T-shirt. I really need that T-shirt. Yeah, but you know, to be honest with you, um, I wasn't I wasn't totally into it. There was just too much. Um, I guess it was just too much. It, was, it felt too childlike to me, which is exactly what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was always looking to to do. You know, slimy things and things that bit. You know, I can't imagine Kermit coming after you. But then again, that might be a great movie right there. Kermit turns evil and comes. You know, <laughs> well, there was but, that one episode of the Muppet Show where he and uh, Vincent Price, Vincent Price, you know, did the vampire thing, fangs, and suddenly you see yeah. a couple of felt fangs. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw that one, but it's, that it's one, to lo- one to look up if you. <laughs> If I'll you have haven't seen it, I, you know what? I gotta be honest. I get a lot of t- uh, messages sent to me over Facebook. Uh, people sending <laughs> people sending me clips, YouTube clips of uh, of old, uh, you know, uh, Muppet Show clips, and I'm like, <laughs> I mm-hmm. uh, okay, you know. <laughs> uh, well, because they 
what they're trying to do is they're trying to share the thing that makes them glow with you because yeah. what you do makes them happy. So they Come feel on. a but sense they of communion. Least, they could at least send pictures of like the predator. <laughs> Come on. Something <laughs> so, scary. Yeah, yeah, so we were looking at, uh, we were looking at your website and saw uh, some of the amazing, amazing sculpts and builds that you do. Uh, Halloween you. at your house must be amazing. No, everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks that. I tried in the beginning to do some really cool stuff out front, um, but we had things come up missing. And, you know, and I was like, you know, it's not worth it to keep putting this stuff out. So I probably got the most boring house in the neighborhood come, you know, time for Halloween. So, well, it's also um, expensive. You know, you can't, it really- is. You know, and, and some of our props, you know, you know, I thought about it. Like we, we were going to populate the outside with uh, some Inquisition props that we had. I know for sure that those are going to come up missing. Um, you know, so. Mm, good point. You know, yeah, you just you can't just get sorta... a good thumb screw at the Halloween store. Hey, what nice. You're shopping at the wrong stores. <laughs> I'm going shopping with you, Gabe. <laughs> we actually have a working thumb screw set in the studio where, uh, we were working on a project co- called OSIN. It was an Inquisition. Film uh, mm-hmm. piece. And, Why am I uh, not surprised you have a thumb screw? Yeah, <laughs> I created these silicone thumbs where you know the more pressure went on it, it sprayed blood from underneath the fingernail at the cuticle, Ew. and uh, yeah, so it's it, it's even disturbing to watch knowing how it works. And, oh, but that's it's when you got it. Fun. So yeah. you're you're not just uh, you're not just an effects guy. You've also done some. Uh, you've also there is a poster on your website for a film that you did. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit about that? Soon. We've actually got two on there that uh, that we're currently trying to build up for. Um, uh, one's Malice. It's also mm-hmm. an Inquisition um, uh, period piece. And uh, it was actually my master's thesis um, when I was getting my uh, master's degree in literature. Um, and then the other is a zombie film also set in the medieval times called The Light of Day. And, you know, kind of a play on words there, but... Uh, you know, little girl. You know, I like to make I like to make teenage girls heroes for some reason. Maybe it's the Buffy lover in me, I guess. You know, but I like to no take more. un unconventional heroes and you know and and just make them spectacular. But um, well, uh, yeah. Joss, Joss Whedon once was asked, "Why is it that you make such a point of putting uh, putting women, women characters strong women characters in your films?" And he says. Because we keep having this conversation. <laughs> because you keep asking exactly. that question. Do you need extras for your next film? <laughs> Can you get to Utah? <laughs> yeah. I know my reason was... My reason was I was raised by angry Scottish women, so... <laughs> what other kind is there? <laughs> you know, you can do anything you like, but don't piss off the redhead. Exactly, and there were a lot of them. So you're going to be at uh, Salt Lake City Comic Con uh, doing a zombie conversion. Uh, oh no, thing. that was actually at Fanex. Fanex. Uh, yeah, that was in April. We. Uh, oh okay. We, it was a lot of fun. We actually got the guys from uh, from Face Off to join us, and so it was it was you know uh, Henson guys, and it was me, Lex, and Yvonne from the Henson Show, and. Uh, Marcel, Gage, uh, Race, and Ian um, from mm-hmm. seasons one and two of Face Off, and it, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Um, I was blown away by the fans. They were they were incredible. I mean, 
it seemed like every time I turned around, they were screaming and pointing. And we did like hundreds of uh, photo ops, and I, I felt like a beetle. You know, I mean, well, you are. You know, you—that's your target audience right there. You are on TV Uh, once, man. Well, you see, it was funny because my mother-in-law comes out and, you know, um, and, you know, and my wife is in the, in, in the booth and, uh, you know, <laughs> they're just like blown away that people actually are stopping and want a picture with me. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> I don't fun? think you'd believe it unless you saw it. I was like, yeah. this is, this is incredible. It's, it's, but, uh, it's a sign that you've arrived. I, let's hope I stay, you know? Yeah. That's why we have, that's why we called you. You told me how long have you been married? I know that um, I'm, I will be at the Salt Lake City Comic Con in September. Um, they did two. They did a Fanex in, in April, and they're going to do a Comic Con in mm-hmm. September. We're probably going to be doing some kind of a makeup um, uh, there as well. Um, probably going to be more uh, superhero driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Gage and Marcel will also be joining us again. And they are two amazing guys. I mean, they, they were working in my studio here for about a month um, after the Comic-Con ended, after the Fanex ended. And I, I have never had so much fun at my shop um, than having those two guys around and, uh, you know, just being themselves, you know. You came just asked uh, uh, how long you've been married. Um, well, that's the thing. Um, you know, and I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I'm not actually married. Um We've sort of given up on the idea of a wedding and just decided that we were married. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We've been together for going on eight years. Been together for eight years. That's great. Is she into this stuff? Is she? What's that? Is she into the the strangeness that that is your life, that is your livelihood? I think she's entertained by it. I don't (laughs) think she's necessarily into it. Trying to get her onto a set is a joke. Um, She did it it early on when we started dating and – she uh, she quickly realized that being on a set is not as much fun as it as I think it is, you know. Um, well, it's so yes yeah. for for someone who isn't directly involved in the process, it's it's a lot you of mean, hurry up and wait. You mean your job is standing around in the dark for nine hours a day waiting for the the tenth hour where you have to run like a maniac to get the shot done? Yeah, that's your life. <laughs> She's yeah, sitting here shaking her head, yes, but yeah, that's pretty much mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of like playing baseball. It's uh, long hours of idle time punctuated by moments of stark terror. Exactly, yeah, with your fingers crossed. God, I hope it holds. God, I hope it holds. <laughs> At least yeah, no one's just, shooting back. Just get, well, that's the thing about <laughs> – you know, that's the thing for, uh, with a lot of these effects builds. It only has to last long enough to get the shot. And then after that, nobody cares what happens to it. Yeah, and you're right. But when that shot, all of a sudden, it's supposed to be – like on the show, it was supposed to be 30 to 60 seconds. But, you know, then all of a sudden they put the takes in there. And it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. We we had an agreement. It was supposed to be 30 to 60 seconds. Right. And 30, 30 to 60 20. seconds of edited time. <laughs> yeah. That's the part they didn't tell you. We just, uh, you just dropped off there. Oh, I was just like, I was like, uh, it was unfair. It was, (laughs) oh yeah. But it was just like a set. You know, they tell you one thing and then you get there on the day and, and, and on the day they've changed the rules. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, realism, I guess. You know, and they, they say, they say, they say the camera is going to be, uh, 20 feet back and you get up there and it's eight feet away. 
it's it's sometimes even yeah i mean and especially in the workspace i can't tell you how many times i sand i nearly sanded my fingertips off when there's a cameraman out of out of my peripheral shows up while i'm using a power tool oh <laughs> jesus it's like holy crap what's that oh it's a guy yeah, with a exactly. camera exactly boundaries people <laughs> boundaries these are power tools <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, you can't. Do you guys remember go. the uh, the episode with the uh, the light challenge, the movement challenge, where we did the bird? The bird was awesome. I love. Oh, that. thank you. I, I had I, I had spent hours cutting that plastizoid um, shavings off to make those feathers, and as I'm cutting it, the block all of a sudden stops, and I'm like, "Why isn't it going through the the machine?" And and I look, and there's a cameraman giggling at me because I keep hitting his lens with the plastizoid. I'm like, "Get the hell out of the way!" Oh. You know. <laughs> Somebody's gonna get hurt. <laughs> like what the hell? Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you live for those moments now. They're they're funny now. <laughs> oh yeah, they're yeah. they're funny now. But you know, it's uh, Zach was working on a Honda commercial, Honda lawnmower commercial, and uh, the art director came by. I was working. It was at a shop called Cinnabar in Hollywood. And, uh, they wanted a, uh, they wanted to show how evil other people's, other manufacturers' lawnmowers were. So they wanted one that was made up to look like a Sherman tank, you know, with tank treads and a turret and the whole thing. And, uh, they killed the, uh, I don't think it ever aired because the, the gag in the commercial was that the whole top of the thing was supposed to come off and fly like a helicopter with the whirling blades. And people and uh, the client Wait, apparently how many Honda PAs thought, did you uh, destroy with that one? Yeah, yeah it was too dangerous to shoot because we didn't have CG in those days. Uh, but uh, anyway, so the art director comes by and says, uh, "Okay, I like the build so far. I want this thing painted Panzer Gray and then put oil streaks and smoke on it." Well, as you probably know. Panzer gray and Mars black are essentially the same color. <laughs> so how is, how are the smoke and uh, oil streaks supposed to show up on this tank? So in my head, I said 15% automotive body primer gray. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I painted it auto body primer gray, decorated it with the rust and the smoke and the streaks. And he came back and says, Panzer gray. Perfect. Just what I wanted. Panzer Gray. I yeah, think Panzer this word Gray. Does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so why there's I've, so much primer gray in in Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's it's, it's all primer color. They it is, yeah, gray. yeah. And they paint they painted with light. They yeah. didn't. Uh, it wasn't mm. it wasn't spray cans. If they needed to change the uh, the mood of the scene, they just relit it. And they use different gels, and they the, the and it worked. Yeah, the lighting director on that show was brilliant, and people don't realize just how much of what you're looking at is really just clever lighting, and what you can oh, get away yeah. with. Exactly. So, um, what was the first? What was the first uh, movie you actually did effects for? And what did you do on it? Oh, trying to. It was a. <laughs> <laughs> Dig deep. <laughs> I know it's been a while. The title. It was a. It was about a dog. It was a demon dog, and it was a German Shepherd. And what is I the had, problem? German Shepherds are always yeah. German dogs. What's this? What the Germans ever do to us? Exactly. <laughs> well, it's that Panzer tank thing again. <laughs> there we go. You know, um, <laughs> Panzer dog. Yeah, we, 
<laughs> exactly. Um, I so I had to make a dog that we could uh, that we could beat the hell out of, and it was pretty much made of plaster bandages, latex, some really cheap fur, and a bunch of PVC pipe and some, you know, essentially some um, banding cords that <clears throat> that had the stretchy elasticity and. You know, and they're kicking at it and, you know, and kicking it in the mouth and stuff. like It was, it was horrible. It was bad. It was just a ridiculous movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, if you get letters from PETA's, or, you know, accusing you of, of animal, cruelty, animal cruelty, you know you've done it right. <laughs> you know, I'll be surprised if anyone ever sees it to make those comments because oh. <laughs> pretty sure there's like five of us in the world that has actually seen the finished product. <laughs> I like to keep it. It must. It might. (laughs) Well, and and uh, what always gets me about uh, a lot of these uh, uh, small film producers is they have no idea how to light the effects. You know, I mean, you get in there and uh, you have this thing that they've paid five hundred dollars for the effect, and and uh, that basically means two days of work tops. And they get in there and they've lit the whole scene like a cafeteria. So exactly. every scrap and, and you know every little bit of uh, uh, newspaper sticking out the corner and rubber bins and all that stuff shows up on the screen and they go, "What the hell did we pay for?" Yeah. Exactly, and somehow it's your fault. Yeah, yeah and somehow it's your fault. You paid for five hundred dollars worth of work. That's what you paid for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you never tell them that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I if was, you want another job, you never tell them. I'm, there was a. Um, uh, a, a trophy, uh, um, an award trophy that I did for uh, uh, a Danny DeVito movie. I can't remember the name of it exactly anymore. Uh, and uh, the ratings game. That was it. The ratings game. I, I did the little trophy award for that. Why didn't you just find oh. somebody who'd won an award? And well, they wanted this special design anyway. So uh, they paid us a certain amount of money to build the thing, and we built it. And they said. Well, um, you've got to fix it, you know, the next day. And I said, what do you mean fix it? It was all, it's uh, acrylic. It's all cemented together. And they said, well, it broke the first time we tried to throw it. Oh, <laughs> for pity's sake. Yeah. I <laughs> didn't know it was yep. supposed to be a throwable trophy, did we? Yeah. Like, you know, but there's... <laughs> That is so, that is so true. It, it kind of goes up there with the whole design thing, how, you know, they'll, they'll change the design 10 times. And when you get back to, you know, uh, to number 10, it was actually number one and they've agreed upon it that it's perfect. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you'll, mm-hmm. you have those moments too. It's, uh, you yeah, know, but you just, you I gotta humor people, you know, yeah, it's, well, you do. It sucks. You do. So what's, uh, what's the work you're most proud of? I mean, obviously, you're very proud of what you did on the Henson Creature Shop Challenge, but uh, what's what's the work you're most proud of uh, outside of that? I think um, we've been doing a lot of um, I call them torso masks, and essentially they're masks that cover the major portion of your body, mm-hmm. so that I, I like them because they're all different, and I like them because I can change the critter inside to make you know one's a lion. I can change that lion into ten different ten different large cats if I wanted. Um, we got a, you know, the same thing with a. It's interchangeable. So we've got a, a bull's head that we can put on. We now it's a minotaur. 
Um, but the thing that I created those for was specifically when I was a kid, and I don't know if you guys had the same problem, you would find an incredible mask that just, that was just so cool. It was so full of potential, but you couldn't find any other part of the costume. And, you know, yes. Yeah. And as a kid, it's devastating, you know, but this, I was like, I'm going to give them as much of the costume as I possibly can all in one mask. They can kind of come up with the arms and the legs themselves, but essentially they've got the major majority of their body covered. Mm -hmm. And so I've been actually, you know, kind of, uh, pandering to my, uh, my youthful side there, you know, wishing that I had those as a kid. But so those well, uh, sometimes the neck is, is what gets you. It's, it's a head. The mask is a head and you have a whole, we were doing Planet of the Apes, okay? And and they would have an ape mask that was just the head, and we'd have to somehow make, fake up fur for the neck and hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, loads of fun. Yeah. Well, those, yeah. those pieces must be expensive, too. They're more expensive than, a, you know, the usual rubber bags that you get. No, yeah. actually, I, I also have a problem with – I would rather have my stuff out there and people see it and appreciate it. Um, I don't want to break anybody, so mm-hmm. I try to keep them as inexpensive as possible. So, like, for one of the masks, one of the lions, I mean, the most expensive mask I have is a Bigfoot mask. And, of course, it's completely hair-punched from from the bottom to the top. And it's mm-hmm. about just the mask, the torso portion is about, uh, I think it was like 1700 bucks. That's the most expensive mask I've got. Uh, uh-huh. The other ones, like you could get the panther, is like $600, you know. Oh, those big cats uh, were awesome. So, Thank you, so and that's it, that's those are the torso masks. Those. Uh, the so line. is it the same substrate, and and you just punch different hair and do different uh, different surface treatments on them to get the different uh, characters? Oh, sh- no, they ha- yeah. I do have sculpt- done different sculpts on you know the cats as opposed to Bigfoot as opposed to zombies. Yeah, they? well that it's yes, simple. yeah. You know, within a, there's like within interchangeable a heads that I can uh, I've got it set up so that I can mm-hmm. just change them out, not change them out once the once they're. Once the mask is created, it's locked in, but then I can swap out the heads, you know, and, and that way it saves them money as well. Cause I'm not, I'm not making yet another sculpture for, mm-hmm. for another mask. And I don't have to deal with the real estate of having all of these molds here. I've got one mold for the main body per se. And then, and then a bunch of different heads that can be interchangeable. So are you, uh, like, do you keep a, a master pattern and then make new hydrocal or hydrostone off of each one? Or uh, I do. I, I everything. You know, I pull the first one out, and that's that's my master cast, mm-hmm. and I'll put that in a box, and you know, and if ever I need it, you know, it's there. Um, you know, you fill it full of foam and kind of kind of go from there. But uh, but I, I, I I've actually learned to to make as many molds as I possibly can, different styles. So. You know, like we'll do like you have to do a plaster mold for for a latex piece. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got that and then you've got the fiberglass mold for, say, a foam latex piece and another fiberglass mold that you can run silicone in. And then there's another fiberglass mold just in case, you know, um, so that's a lot of storage space. I mean, that's what you mean by real racks estate. and racks. Exactly. And racks. But when you're when you're talking about fiberglass, I mean, it's great because you just bolt the fiberglass mold together and you can hang it from the rafters. I mean, the plaster molds are the ones that take up all the real estate because they have to be on a shelf or you know they, you can't just suspend those. Yeah, you know. I've got I've got a cabinet with Yoda molds in it. And they're hydrostone oh. and they weigh a ton. And yeah, and yeah, they're probably very very expensive uh just in terms of um i'm gonna sneak in and grab them kind of thing. <laughs> well the uh these are ones i made a replica of yoda uh 
and he oh. was he w- this was the Yoda that appeared at the Egyptian theater in 1980 I want to say 1985 uh for the premiere of Return of the Jedi and we we got Sorry. on all the major news channels with it. Oh so, wow. They were driving around with Yoda in the car. Yeah, Yoda, Yoda in the uh uh passenger seat of my You know Well, they see me hating they are. I'm sorry, you've just broken the host. <laughs> oh, oh, Gabe, that, oh, was, that was awesome. That was <laughs> so, um, so what's next? What's on okay, the horizon? So, so you were you were driving with a replica of Yoda, and no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> well. The funny the funny thing was all I was all I was interested was in in the art. I just wanted to make a Yoda, and it did not occur to me that representatives of Lucasfilm were going to be there scouting. And I didn't have resumes with me. And there was an opportunity lost. Oh, that's it. That's horrible. Oh, it's like, you know, and, it could have been worse. It could have been an opportunity for a lawsuit. I mean, there almost was one. Because the first question I, I was asked by one of the Lucasfilm people was, how did you get that out of our vault? Yeah. Wow. So that was the first thing That's they asked a me. A bit of a compliment, isn't it? You, you yeah. that yourself. Yeah, exactly. And the, the the original one I think was operated by seven people, and mine mine took three. So because it didn't have you know, as many features. I've got to be honest with you. We were impressed with ourselves when it came to the Skexis when we found out that it was you know there was near to half a dozen or more people that that essentially puppeted those Skexis in uh, in the film in the Dark Crystal. And it took them almost three months to build them. And here we did everything in in three days. And, you know, and it took like two people inside the suit to puppet it. The other two, I mean, we could have, they could have really done without us, but everybody had to participate. So you had these little Mm -hmm. tiny participation, you know, scenes. Um, But yeah, we were blown away with what we were able to do there. And that was just, you know, week two, you know, or episode two. We we referred to them in weeks. You got it so close to what they had done originally in the original film, The Dark Crystal. Yeah. And, you know, I got to be honest with you. Everyone was so proud of everyone's Skeksis that, you know, there was no animosity that I knew of that – that somebody thought that they should have won over somebody else. I mean, Roberts was amazing, and I thought ours was amazing. I think ours got a little bit, a uh, little bit of brow beating um, that it didn't deserve because, you know, they, they commented on like the desert, the desertiness of it. But at the same time, we had explained to the judges what our process was, and all of that ended up on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big tank on its back, the big the turtle shell was essentially catching water through condensation and feeding it mm-hmm. back to his body. So that was the point of that. You know, never got mentioned on the show. Um, oh. <clears throat> you know, the little critter would pee in his mouth because mm-hmm. that's what he was drinking. You know, um, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we had purposes for everything, and it's. I think it got that it got really lost. got lost in the uh, editing. Yeah. yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. It's all about the editing, you know. So what's what's next? What's on the horizon for you? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to keep my you know my mind open to everything and my opportunities open. So, you know, we're talking to 
to New York Comic Con. We're talking mm-hmm. to uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con. We're talking to you know Orlando Comic Con stuff like that. That whole you know, zombie that we thing like went over really do well. Do the tours and show our stuff. You know, because it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, and I seem to be spearheading most of these comic cons, you know, like, um, the, the, the last one we went to, I, uh, made arrangements for Yvonne and Lex to come, you know, out and, and for the, for the guys from Face Off. Um, I'm not sure what everybody else is doing, but every time I get an opportunity, somebody calls me and they're like, Hey, would you like to do our, our con or would you like to do our, uh, our show? Um, the first, thing i ask is would they like a couple more you know so well you're saving them trouble aren't you yeah 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 i just because you've got the context they don't have this is this is actually how we uh ran across you rafen wolfson who's Mm -hmm. the the uh producer and writer i think of the was it writer did he write it well anyway he's the producer of the uh uh the wheel of time fan film um uh, flight from shadow Yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and he suggested that we get in touch with you. You didn't work on that, did you? Or did you? No, I actually missed my opportunity twice. Um, the first time I wasn't sure, um, who Raven was and we were getting a lot of, uh, you know, people who wanted us to do things and they weren't actually following through. And Raven was one of those guys that just sort of a go getter, you know, mm-hmm. um, when he says he's going to do it, he does it. And we weren't used to that. Um, so we <laughs> missed on that opportunity. Yeah. Um, the second time I was on the show, so I wasn't able to help there. Mm-hmm. But he's got a third installment that he's working on, and I sort of jumped the gun on that one. And he was Ooh. looking for a specific uh, Mildred. Am I Mildred. saying that right? Mildred. 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 Okay. Um, and so they wanted an ancient one that looked more serpent-like. And so I, boom, I sculpted it in a day. I had it molded, and I had a, you know, in two days, I had a latex mask, you know, created as a uh, concept piece. And he was just like, oh, my God, you know, hardcore. Yeah. And that, that yeah. sort of thing, that sort of thing impresses him greatly, you know, because he's very much like that. He's uh, yeah. he is vision and energy personified. And he's one of the, yes, he is. And he believes in people and he trusts people and he does. Uh, he's one of the few people in the industry who really does good business. You know, it's a pleasure to work with him. Yeah, it is. He 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 does. He takes the time to to listen to the process. He, you know, he's very excited about his projects and everyone else's project. I mean, he's you know, if you could kind of like, kind of like bottle that and sell it to most indie filmmakers, I think <laughs> I think we'd be producing a whole lot more here in Utah. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting being. It must be interesting for you being part of the film. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Industry? Well, I was going to say film industry, but that's not exactly the 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 film community in Utah, uh, because people, you know, when you think um, science fiction, fantasy, or horror, you don't automatically think of Utah. You know, which is strange because we do have a lot of uh, you know obscure films that are shot here. Um, well, you know, Raven's, um, you know, project there, there's that. Um, but you know, everything from Footloose to, um, uh, what, God, I'm getting kind of blinded here by all the Delman Louise. I mean, there was a lot of movies shot here. I mean, and Footloose was, uh, Footloose and there was one film, I'm going to sound like an idiot here. Um, it had, uh, what's her name from Sabrina the Teenage, which she was Sabrina. Trying to remember her name. Uh, heart. Um, 
That's yeah. Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah, Melissa Joan Hart did a high school film, um, you know, high school kind of like, you know, coming of age kind of thing right there at the at the high school. Footloose and that movie were shot right there at the high school across the street from me. And, oh my goodness. you know, it's just amazing, you know, and with Sundance, you know, it's mm-hmm. just gotten, you know, I mean, the film industry here is just growing by leaps and bounds. And I'm willing to venture that there's like 300 movies at any given moment, whether it's independent or Hollywood driven being shot somewhere in Utah at some point during the year. And, you know, um, I think we kind of get lost because we're kind of hidden in the mountains, you know, kind of, you know, Hollywood's on one side, you know, you've got New York on the other, you know, at a distance, but you know, kind of get forgotten about here. But, yes and uh, no. I mean, you know, you're you're putting all those Hollywood uh, craftspersons out of work, uh, <laughs> but it sounds like the, the Utah Film yeah. Office is sure doing their job. They're, they're yeah, getting production we, um, there. We keep trying to drive up the, uh, you know, uh, the, the incentives to to come to Utah. I know the Utah Film Commission works really hard to try to, you know, to broker as many of those deals coming in as they possibly can. Um, you know, uh, and, and that's Marshall Moore that actually, you know, um, heads up the, the Utah Film Commission. And, uh, you know, we're all on Marshall's list to, uh, you know, hey, what's coming up? What's coming up? You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. throw me a bone. You know? <laughs> Russ Adams, thank you for joining us for episode 62 of the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's been a pleasure having you with us. And uh, we hope you to invite you back again sometime. It would be fantastic. I had a great time, and I really appreciate you guys uh, involving me. Yeah, if you if you ever want me back, just just tell me I'm here. Awesome. Thank you so All right, much. You're here. <laughs> Stay cool, boss. I'm right in your pocket. <laughs> you have just heard episode 62 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for June 7th, 2014 with our guest Russ Adams, the creative madman behind Escape Studio Effects, whom you know as a contestant on the first season of the Jim Henson Creature Shop Challenge. Your hosts have been station manager Gene Turnbow and the station's executive producer Susan Fox. To find out more about Russ Adams' work, visit escapestudiofx.com. This episode will air again on Sunday, June 8, 2014 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and again on Thursday, June 12th, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was science fiction illustrator Mark Schermeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Corsair's closet producer Christine Cherry, and the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents are copyright 2014 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.